0: Welcome to another episode of Sisters in Conversation. I'm your host, Debelo Mutani. I'm an attorney by profession and the founder of a platform called Sister in Law, which is a platform dedicated to empowering women through legal education. On today's episode, I have with me Lubumba Kamugwamba. Lubumba is an admitted attorney who specializes in public law with a focus on government contracting and procurement. Lubumba also advises on administrative and constitutional law issues in regulated industries such as the pharmaceutical, consumer goods, and automotive sectors. She is frequently part of teams representing major clients in complex high court review applications that are of significant public interest and importance. After graduating from the University of the Witwatersrand, Lubumba completed her articles at Weber Wenzel. She then worked as an associate in the firm's dispute resolution department before taking up a prestigious clerkship at the Constitutional Court of South Africa under the now-retired Justice Edwin Cameron. Thereafter, Lubumba was privileged to be able to travel abroad to complete an LLM degree in constitutional law, corporate governance, and public policy at the illustrious Harvard Law School. She kept off her time abroad by completing a year-long fellowship at the Global Network for Public Interest Law, headquartered in New York. Lubumba has been in practice for four years and is currently a senior associate in the public law and regulatory practice of a Big Five law firm in Johannesburg, South Africa. In her personal time, Lubumba serves on the board of a nonprofit she helped co-found with other young professionals concerned about the systemic challenges facing South Africa's education system. She believes that education is the key to breaking the cycle of poverty in disadvantaged communities. Lubumba has an LLB degree, cum laude from the University of Witwatersrand, and an LLM degree from Harvard Law School. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi Lubumba, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi Tabelo, I'm well thanks. How are you? Great, great. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to share your story with us. Thank you for being so keen to be a part of the show. I'm so very excited to be speaking to you today.
1: I'm as excited as you are to be sharing and thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Wonderful Lubumba so I like taking my guests through the entire journey you know you are who you are because of where you come from a lot of the time your upbringing and how you grew up has a lot to do with the 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 woman you find yourself being today so can you please just take us back to Lubumba's childhood who is Lubumba where were you born and raised How many siblings do you have? Were you raised by your parents or grandparents or aunts? Can you take us through some of your um, schooling and then we will speak about why you decided to pursue law?
1: So I was born in a country called Zambia um, in the 1990s. And um, about a year and a half after I was born, my parents moved to Johannesburg, South Africa, which is where I grew up and where I was raised. Mm. Um, My dad took up a job with a state-owned entity, a Zambian state-owned entity that had opened some offices in Johannesburg. Um, And that's how he came to move to Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. And um, we grew up in the Northern suburbs in a time where there were very few black families living in those areas because we had just entered into the 1990s and um apartheid had not yet formally um ended democracy had not yet formally come so it was a, a very strange time to be in the northern suburbs yeah of yeah Hamburg. And even as a as a kid i remember we would have Eggs thrown at our, our windows sure. um, and all sorts of strange things, um, just bearing testament to the fact that um, white families were not happy with the fact that there was a black family in mm-hmm. the northern suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, there were still heavy racist attitudes. And I distinctly recall that being a part of my upbringing, especially when it came to entering. Schools and finding yourself as the one of few black people in the class and um, uh, navigating all those all those issues. Mm, mm. Um, but I always remember my parents being very supportive. They still are. They um, gave me a good grounding and made sure that I lacked nothing growing up, mm. and that I was encouraged to be the very best person version of myself possible
0: yeah so sure yeah that is very hectic did you did you grow up with any siblings
1: oh yes um i have three brothers Mm -hmm. all -hmm. younger than me and i'm i'm the oldest um only girl and um that in itself proved interesting um in shaping my upbringing I remember I used to climb trees, we used mm-hmm. to make mud balls. Um, I had a very carefree childhood um, and um, really enjoyed it to the full, but I did play my role, made sure to play my role as the older sister. Yeah, I think being the firstborn has shaped my perception of things and the way I approach life. Always had a sense of responsibility towards um, my siblings, towards my family, mm. and um, even in the work that I do, I feel a strong sense of responsibility mm. towards um, society, towards my community.
0: Sure. And your your brothers were, you know, a lot younger then. How did they interpret what was going on in terms of, you know, the the racist acts, the throwing of eggs? Did you guys ever have conversations about racism or did you not have a term for it? Did you, were you not able to explain to them what was going on and why this was happening?
1: It was a challenging and um, complicated experience. Um, One way of explaining it is is with reference to where I'm from, being from Zambia, um, we, we weren't conscious of the fact that we were black. We were just people.
2: Um,
1: And and that isn't how people are are necessarily identified Mm. in Mm.
2: Zambia.
1: It's not, oh, that black guy. It's just that guy. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I hear you.
1: I remember being seven or eight in primary school and it it dawning on me that, oh, I'm black. Um, And sort of grappling with the identities and the ways of um, categorizing people in South Africa that had become so much a part of how people interact. The legacy of apartheid still lives on.
0: Yeah, you know, um,
1: just, yeah.
0: yeah just, just hearing you say that uh, reminds me of how a lot of the time, I've actually never heard a black person say that they don't see color. We've always mm. been forced to see color. Just hearing you say that, you know, you were seven or eight when you realized that, oh, I'm different or oh, I'm considered to be other. That mm. just makes me realize that when it comes to who d- does and doesn't see color, it's definitely us. We see color because we've it's been such, under such a spotlight that we are darker or yes. Um and, and, and it's always white people that say, oh no, I don't see color. Or oh no, I've I've taught my kids to grow up not seeing colour. And that's a little bit
1: patronizing. Mm, I think they have the privilege of that. Of that, um, exactly. I was about to. Where,
2: tell you that.
1: Yeah, but where you imagine you're a you're a young child, um, your parents have never called you black. Sure.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it wasn't necessary. Um, and then you move to south africa very racially charged period um and suddenly you're like oh okay i am black especially since you're navigating um majority white uh spaces Mm. Mm. um maybe it would have been different if we were in um a majority black setting Mm. maybe maybe then i wouldn't have been as conscious Mm. of the fact that i was black but being one out of maybe three Black people in a class of
2: 35
1: hmm. realized pretty quickly that, okay, there's a certain sort of dynamic that I'm noticing. Hmm. Um, and I would have conversations with my siblings who are actually not too, too much younger than I am. We were born sort of a year apart, the first three of us, and then we have a lot Lamaki. Mm -hmm. um with whom there's a 10-year age gap between me and 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 him
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um so he wasn't there at the time he hadn't been born so the the three of us close were very close and we would exchange notes we would say oh did this happen to you why did this happen and um so a large part of my upbringing has been around um gender, the gender dynamic, mm, mm. being the only, only girl, yet first born, um, having um, two brothers at the time, later three, mm. um, and then race. Um, and um, I remember having this strong sense of justice from an early age, that, things, that it is important for things to be set right.
2: Mm,
1: mm. and for things to be done properly and people to be respected and um, there to be equality. Mm. Those were things that I felt, even as a young girl, because of these intersectionalities Mm. that I had to navigate.
0: Sure. Thank you so much for sharing. When, When you say gender dynamics, it wasn't so, you know, from the offline conversation that we had about your your dad and the conversations that you used to have, it wasn't so much of your family that was highlighting the fact that you're a you know firstborn girl child. It was society, you know. I remember with with my cousins, there's so basically my my uncle has three 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 daughters. And Growing up, everybody always used to be like, you guys need to try for a boy, you guys need to try for a boy, you know, people Mm. um, having an opinion on your marriage or your relationship and almost as if to say your girl children are inadequate and they will be validated by the birth of this boy. Mm. And my uncle used to say, I don't understand what, what the issue is with having a boy child because." anything firstly I'm raising my daughters up to know that anything that a supposed son could have done they will do probably even better that's how I'm that's exactly how I'm raising them and 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 I'm leaving this legacy for them I'm not going to leave this legacy for some boy child that doesn't exist in my world but mm. he they like him and my aunt basically raised their children being bullied by the fact that as three girls and, and, and they just have to keep trying for a boy.
1: Yeah. Um, I can relate in the sense that although my parents were very progressive and never made me feel less than because Mm -hmm. I am a female, because I'm a girl, because I'm now a woman. Um, it's the, 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 society our cultural setting um traditional african um culture um does influence us as i said being from zambia um though moving to south africa we often visited home and you'd meet with relatives who had those sorts of attitudes Mm. Um, and So yes, although it wasn't my parents that imposed any of that on me, and Mm. I'm very grateful for that. They were very enabling, very encouraging, and never made me feel less than on account of um, my gender. Mm. Certainly the setting in which we grew up, both the Zambian side and the South African side, um, in our society, patriarchy is is the, um, the main sort of um, dominant way of, of viewing how society should be ordered. Um, and so that does affect what women feel they can do, notwithstanding what their parents might have encouraged them to do, how their parents might have, how much support their parents may have given them. Mm-hmm.
0: So true, sure. Thank you, thank you so much for sharing Lubumba and then let's let's move on you know beyond the primary schooling and high schooling when did you when when do you feel that you almost you know what can i say when when did you become certain in your identity and that nothing external could shake you so it didn't matter that you were viewed as you know first born girl child or the only Black girl in the classroom or the only Black child in the classroom, when, when did you realize that you are not shaken by all those external or rather intersectionalities at play? When did you discover your identity?
1: I can't remember a specific um, point in time, but rather a progression, almost a crescendo towards mm-hmm. that place. And that started happening in high school, just to to take us back a bit. Um, I, um, you know, as the years wore on, gradually classes became more integrated and you were able to then share experiences with with more black people that you'd interact with in these white dominated spaces. Um, But certainly the intersectionalities, race, gender, class, um, culture, mm. uh, language, um, kept on raging on as they still do in our globalized world.
2: Yeah,
1: and I, I went to a private school in Johannesburg, um, in Sandton, and um, being a very prestigious uh, and exclusive girls' school, I had to grapple with those issues, mm. and uh, that's sort of where. I wouldn't say it's where it started, but where the issues were really brought to a head. Um, because in primary school, you sort of, okay, I'm too young to think about this. I'll yeah. think about yeah. it later. Yeah. <laughs> and you are um, overwhelmed with other things, like what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and um, becoming conscious of, of boys and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who's popular and who's not popular. Yeah, and uh, your grades then in high school it's less about and being in a girls school it was less about the boys and um popularity and more mm. about okay who am I mm. who is Lubumba who do I want to become um what do I want to be and I remember reading Barack Obama's book Dreams from My Father
2: oh yes yes
1: And I just, that was one of the key moments because for the first time, someone had put to words my experience as a cross-cultural kid navigating different spaces. Um, Although, you know, it's uh, him being a man, Mm -hmm. him being um, part Kenyan, part American, Mm is a very different experience. I could still relate to the straddling of various identities. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it was then that I was inspired to not run away from those issues, but to to tackle them head on, to grapple with them and to be more comfortable with the discomfort um, that I felt, not quite being... um, not quite belonging, you know? And people constantly asking, oh, you know, your name, where are you from? Yet, oh, no, I didn't grow up there, I grew up here. Yet, Mm -hmm. oh, but you're not South African. (laughs) Um, Being comfortable with the uncomfortable silences and not feeling like I needed to apologize for who I am. Sure.
0: That is so important. I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to comment on, on what you had said about uh, Barak's book but now, now I've lost my train of thought but it was one of the books that I was trying to get a few years ago um, after reading The Audacity of Hope. I don't know if you read The Audacity of Hope and
1: enough I have not
0: (laughs) uh, but he had made references to dreams from my father and I really I really wanted to get it um so yeah I'm gonna make an I think that's that's what I was making a mental note of maybe I didn't have a specific comment on what you said but it's 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 it just shows that there was a a meme that was making the rounds I think sometime last year and it's it read being a black, being a woman is like being black twice, mm. and I, that 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 is a line that I have played so much in my head that when when you when you mention that um, you know Barack being a black man, the the experiences are are somewhat different. There's certainly an overlap, but there's certainly the fact that being a Black woman specifically makes everything that much tougher. You know? Yeah. We, we, just, don't, we just don't have the same battles as anybody. Not, not the same as other women, uh, with, uh, with women of, co- of other color. Not the same as our Black men. We are in a league of our own.
1: Yes. That's true. We have the double bind. Um, sure. Kimberly Crenshaw, famous critical race theorist in the US calls it, Um, and I'm sorry to refer to so many Americans, Mm. but it just shows you that we need more African voices Mm. to rise up and and create um, in the space Mm. of um, um, race Mm. and um, identity, and we we're grateful for the contribution that people like Tumamanda and Gozi Adichie have made. Mm, mm. Um, but um, the point I'm making is that we have the double bind of race and gender.
2: Mm.
1: And that almost makes us an affront in certain spaces. Mm, mm. Um, we are, and this is a common meme that circulates and that I think about a lot, we are breaking ground that our ancestors would only dream of breaking mm, mm. Um, in many cases. Um, and it's, it can be quite pressurizing. It can be quite overwhelming, um, but it's also very exciting. And mm. we get to prove people wrong um, a lot. And we get to we get to create our brands um, and challenge the boxes which people try to put ourselves in mm. to put us in
0: mm. Sure. I don't know if you are familiar with Luando Paso. She's previously been a guest on the show.
1: I am familiar with her yeah, and I really do admire her work.
0: absolutely, just on 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 the you know on the point you had raised about. How we need more women in the space speaking up on on issues of racism and and gender and you know those those intersectionalities she has really done such great work with her platform including society and just educating us and in being the voice for these kind of conversations
1: yes i actually attended one of her events Mm. um and we discussed these issues and Boy, was I amazed to mm. see the commonality in our experiences as black mm. women in the corporate space. Mm. Mm. Um, and we were able to exchange tips and ideas because it's not about sort of a poverty Olympics or race to the bottom and feeling sorry for ourselves. At the end of the day, we need to come up with strategies Mm. to overcome the challenges we face Mm. and to ensure that our children, our daughters in particular, um, and our granddaughters will live in a better society than than we lived in. will have more opportunities than we even had. Yes, we have more opportunities than our grandmothers had, Mm. but let's not lose sight of the fact that a lot more changes need to occur.
0: Absolutely. I, I I continuously just have a conversation with my guests about how issues of transformation are not a destination. We're not going to be there saying, we're not going to get to a point where we're like, oh, finally, there are enough Black women who are managing partners at the top five law firms. We can rest now. We're never going to rest. This is a... Yes. This is a this is a journey, it's not a destination. Uh, We have to work at transformation every single day and be intentional about it. And so will our children and so
1: will their children because we can
0: never return to how things were. We we have to keep going.
1: Yes, yes, indeed. Um, Yeah, and I'm I'm really so grateful to my parents. Um, They put a lot of responsibility on me from a young age um they they gave me educational opportunities they Mm. didn't say oh no you're you're a female so you Mm. can't go to university oh no you're a female so you you can't go to high school Mm. unfortunately those are things that still happen today
0: many african Um,
1: countries yeah yeah child marriages they never put pressure on me to say Mm. Mm. you know at 18 we must find someone for you to get married to I was never kidnapped and forced into a marriage and I think those are things we need to be conscious of we should not take the freedoms we have
0: for granted, for granted.
1: Absolutely.
0: sure that just sent chills down my spine because I mean I was such a baby at age 15 when, when when or age 12 some are being shipped off from as young as age 12 to mm. go and be married and um you know even talking about uh, what is it called um genital mutilation from a young age
2: mm.
0: all those mm. are, are are things that whenever whenever I read up on them or when I'm watching documentaries I really just am so grateful to have these 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 rights and 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 like you saying, it's, it's just something we shouldn't take for granted.
1: Mm. Yeah, I suppose fresh in my head, um, as we discussed offline, I just came back from a trip to Zambia
2: um,
1: to visit family. And it's fresh in my mind because on one of the visits to my cousin, I saw a bus parked in the, in the car park where we were. And it said, stop child marriage. and had a picture of an African girl on it. Mm. That's why I suppose these issues are at the forefront of my mind at this time. Mm. Um, I was reminded that, oh my goodness, this happens. And so I then asked, does this really happen? Because I was shocked. Um, we were in, granted, not a big city. We're in a very small town. And you see this bus and you're like, does this really happen in this town? Um, And and we started a conversation about how it happens mostly in the villages um, where female children are married off for money Mm. and for more status for the family and how this is raging on. And it is a very real problem. And that's why this bus is there.
0: That is is just very... Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's scary. I just, yeah, no, it's scary. I think I think it's, it's it's always going to be women who will eventually be be oppressed by, you know, um, by financial burdens. It's it's always yes. women. It's always women who will be on the back foot when it comes to anything that that speaks to finances or speaks to the economy.
1: Yeah. And that's why I'm so passionate about education mm. and women being esteemed in themselves and not restricting themselves from educational opportunities, which later lead to professional and other opportunities that will enable them to make wealth for themselves, to mm-hmm. support themselves. Mm-hmm and not to be reliant on um, other family members, both men and women, but particularly men. Often people get into relationships, sure, you know, because they, not because they necessarily would have chosen that partner, but mm. because they're pressured by the fact that they have no means mm. and they end up in, you know, relationships, that they shouldn't have ended up in because and and power dynamics and all of that exactly exactly but if you have education no one can take that away from you Mm. that's something my mom taught me at a very young age and I thank her for that she said get education my daughter because when you get education no one can take that away from you and she put a book in my hand that had been written by one of our relatives. And it was about this very issue, about a woman who was in an abusive um, relationship, but she managed to cobble together some resources to go and do a course. And in, 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 in um, uh, the language it was written in, it said, education, get education. Because no one can take that away from you. And then she, the, the protagonist, the female protagonist at the end was saying she got education. And no one can take that away from, from her, not even her abuser. So it was those experiences that 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 shaped who I am, made me confident to pursue the opportunities um, that I've that, that I ended up pursuing.
0: Sure. I that, that really just, oh, you know, put a smile on my face because of how my mom as well really, really values education. So she was a housewife up until her and my dad divorced in 1997. And so she only then continued with her studies for the first time. So she had matriculated and then met my dad, got married, had kids, and she was just a housewife, you know. And only after the divorce did she realize that, oh my goodness, I have fallen behind on on education or on my studies. And she then pursued her degree post-divorce. And I used to find myself at the library a lot, a lot of the time, because there was no one to look after me. My mom couldn't afford to pay somebody to look after me while she was studying or while she was working. So a lot of the time I had to go to the library with her and she'd always give me a book to read. And that's where my love for reading started because I was constantly in the library with my mom while she was chasing her degree. And she really, really puts a heavy emphasis on education to a point where I grew up a lot of the time with it not being just, just me. I, I When I was growing up, I didn't have a room to myself. I'd, I remember I would be so jealous of my friends because... They slept alone and I constantly had to share bedrooms with my cousins, with my aunts, with almost any female relative I can think of. And that is because my mom was helping them get through school, you know? Because she's, she was always at the forefront of, if we, if, 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 if the girls in the family have nothing to give, at least they should have an education, bare minimum. Whether, whether you are staying with us to complete matric or you're staying with us to then pursue a degree or a diploma, she was just like, you have to have a certificate and there's not going to be any girl in the family that leaves school in grade nine or you know, does not matriculate as a result of not having enough finances or whatever the case is. So I really grew up taking people in or taking family members in all the time because my mom wanted them to study.
1: Yeah, um, that, that's a fantastic, um, some fantastic role modeling that, that, that I think your mom did there and kudos to her on, on being the example because she didn't give up on life after that setback. Um, a divorce during those times would have been um, quite difficult to navigate, yet she persisted and went forward. And I think mm-hmm. so many of our mothers my mom is also an example of that. Um, mm. She she was the housewife as well. Mm. Um, um, she was restricted in the work that she could do. In fact, she was not entitled to work because of the type of visa that my dad had mm. and that she was to, in her passport, it was stamped to a company spouse oh my only. Sure. So for seven years, uh almost eight years, she's she stayed at home with us and raised mm. us. Mm. Um, but she um she you know did Tupperware, would do whatever she could to ensure that um she could contribute and she um later went on so many years later she started working with my dad and then years later did her masters um and she said one of the reasons was to to get something of her own absolutely and to be a, a role model to to us particularly me
2: mm-hmm.
1: um uh, and and that really really inspired me um and I, i'm i'm grateful that my dad encouraged her in all those pursuits um and never held her back. And the strange thing is today my dad works for her. So <laughs> <laughs> I, mean- <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, I
2: love it.
1: So yeah, it's um yeah um those those all those scenarios um, helping relatives as well back home, funding their education and uh evangelizing this thing of education Mm,
2: mm.
1: amongst cousins who you find when you visit home who are feeling hopeless who are feeling like they don't have opportunities or maybe just hanging around with the wrong company encouraging them in their studies and um to those who take the advice seeing the improvement is um is very inspiring. And we, we, we have to continue these conversations and make sure that no one who who um, wants to succeed is left behind. Sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my goodness, Lubumba, I realized that um, we've had so much to speak about on everything except the real reason we are here. <laughs> <laughs> We we're fast running out of time. I, 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 I could listen to you all day. Actually, <laughs> um, yeah. this is exactly what Little Onolo told me. She was like, <laughs> you be bitten by the Lubumba bug because you could literally listen to her all day." Um, she did warn me against this. <laughs> uh, so I, I just want us to move on from, uh, you know. these conversations a lot of it had to do with your upbringing can we speak about a little bit about your your challenges that you may have faced during your articles I see here you graduated from the University of the Witwatersrand and then you started your articles at Weber Wenzel but I think to also keep the same theme going throughout our conversation what I specifically wanted to ask is looking back to when you first started your articles and where you are now and where you're headed, what specifically on issues of transformation, whether gender dynamics or race dynamics, what do you think we as black women in the profession can do to ensure that we leave things a little bit better for the, for the, for the students coming behind us or the young graduates coming behind us?
1: Um, I'm currently reading The Black Girl's Guide to Corporate South Africa yes, by Nbelwa yeah. Skenjana.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I'm still reading it, but I, I listened to a, 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 an interview that she did with another young Black female um, professional uh, mm-hmm. doing similar work to you, Tebelo, actually. Mm. um on power fm and they said something that i fully agree with which is why i'm repeating it Mm. is um we need to make sure we're healthy first Mm. we need to esteem ourselves first too many of us are going in with low self-esteem imposter syndrome Mm. Mm. and we're facing so many internal battles that prevent us from fully expressing ourselves and grabbing hold of the opportunity. Mm. We, we need to do a lot of work on ourselves. And because, as they said, and as you know, we've seen on memes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can't pour out of an empty cup. Yeah. The best, the most selfless thing that you can do is actually to work on yourself, hmm. um, because hmm. then you can let your example speak more than your words. Sure. Yes. And that's my encouragement to to us as Black female professionals. Let us work on ourselves. Mm. Let us get rid of this imposter syndrome. Let us feel worthy of the opportunities that we have received. Mm. Um, let us um, learn to articulate ourselves with confidence and poise and grace. Um, let us learn how to lead ourselves before we lead others.
2: Sure.
1: That's, that's what I think we should do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: I hope I got all of that down. I was quickly writing and rushing through it. <laughs> sure. Thank mm-hmm. you. That is so, so important. Um, yeah, the only the only way we are going to make things better for 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 those coming behind us is, is if we pour into ourselves. Uh we need to use as much energy as 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 fighting injustices to also pull back into ourselves you know that's very important
1: yeah and i'm not saying um do that to the exclusion of reaching out to others mm. i'm a firm believer in as you make a little progress then lift mm. um mm. as you make a little progress then lift mm. then you can share the experience oh i used to have challenges with this mm. but now you know, as you finish your articles, then you have something to say to someone who's starting the articles. Mm. I finished mm. my articles. These are the keys and the tips, knowing that you are making progress. You're not sort of waiting for the time that your partner before you say anything to anyone. Mm. Um, but as you rise, you're lifting, as you rise, you're lifting, make a little progress, then lift, but take that time to make sure that you as you put it, pouring into yourself. Yeah, yeah, very important.
0: And then, you know, how, how, how did it go for you? You know, I see here it says you then clerked at the Constitutional Court with the now-retired Justice Edward Cameron. A lot of the time I ask my guests whether or not they feel that men are intentional in mentoring Black women in the profession. Did you feel that you got that kind of mentorship, especially considering that you worked very closely with, with, with a man who is actually white and much senior than you? Did you ever at any point feel like maybe you're being undermined because of the color of your skin or your race or your, you know, what, what is it called ageism or the fact that you are young? How was that experience for you at
1: Concord? I found in Justice Cameron a powerful mentor. Mm. Um, he's still a, a mentor today. Mm. Um, and I still interact with him regularly. Mm. Um, and the strange thing is that, um, well, it's not strange. Um, and you may have heard other people say this most of the people that have opened doors for me, that have mentored me, mm. um, have actually been white men. Hmm. Um, when you hear that, you at first think it's quite strange, mm. but it's not strange if you look at the demographics mm. oh, yeah. of, of who holds, um, you know, the, these positions mm. in our society, mm. um, then it then it makes more sense, right? Mm. Um, but I suppose it does have something to say of how we need to improve as, as women to open opportunities for each other. But I don't want to give us such a bad rap, mm. having said that, having qualified, that it is the demographics. Um, and and um, if, if those that are in power and in these positions of influence are still mostly white males, particularly in a profession such as law, yeah then we can't give ourselves that much of a bad rap but we should be conscious of it and conscious to try and give other women opportunities and and lift um other women up as we go up i i given justice cameron's uh role as a a human rights activist um I felt accepted. I felt um, that he was a firm supporter of me pursuing um, my goals within the profession, and to this day continues to be. And I'm 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 very grateful for that. And. I think he was uniquely positioned because of his passion for human rights, Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: of his activism, because of the fact that he is himself somebody who's experienced discrimination, him being a a gay man. Um, So
2: I'm
1: grateful that he, he, really um, provided support and has always said, let me know how I can help. And I I, I really do value that in a mentor. And um, I'd encourage young African females to not just seek mentorship from people who look like them. Absolutely. Yes, yes, you do need that because Mm. they understand your experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, to seek mentors from other races, to seek mentors, um, who are male mentors who are female, um, other categories of gender and to challenge themselves, um, by trying to see the way they see things and, um, that that sharpens you it makes you more of a holistic uh person mm. being able to see other people the way other people might see things mm. um that that how you see things is not how everybody sees them Absolutely. and that that makes you more able to interact with different types of people mm. and and be relevant to to those people
0: and i was going to say that um you know a lot of the time we we almost have this linear approach or, yeah, when it comes to issues of mentorship, we always think that it just has to be, it always has to be somebody who's relatively older than us, relatively more experienced than us, uh, same same color, same background or whatever the case is. But a lot of the time we really underestimate how, how much of a difference, being mentored by somebody who's at your level, I'm, I'm just talking about age wise, um, even, even experience wise, but just in a different firm, for example, or in a different industry, for example, can serve as a really great role model. I've had women who are younger than me on this platform that I've learned so much from, from their own uh, roles as gender or youth activists or whatever the case is i've learned so much from them and they're a lot younger than me and in that i have found mentorship on certain things that i have interest in you know making you a well-rounded person it doesn't always have to be somebody older than you
1: yes you're right i i completely agree with that um having ment- mentees myself and and finding myself learning from them
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Just, as, just as you say, you learn from people who are younger than you and younger activists. Um, I have found that none of us is, is 2D. We are multifaceted, and there are things that they might be better at that they've got a grip on mm-hmm. um, and, and have managed to get a grip on much earlier in their lives than, than you have. Mm-hmm and it's um, a two-way process in many senses. Yes, you are the mentor in many cases um, because you have achieved a certain degree of progression in your professional and academic um, career, um, and, and that's what they seek from you, but it ends up being a two-way exchange.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, thank you. Thank you so much, for then let's move on to how you traveled abroad to complete your LLM degree in constitutional law, corporate governance, and public policy at the illustrious Harvard Law School. How did that go? And sure, how how what did the whole experience teach you about your own? Country. So what did it teach you about, let me say South Africa and Zambia? What did being Mm. in America teach you? And specifically, what did Harvard Law School teach you about maybe the importance of of education or what did it teach you about our own law schools back at home?
1: Mm. Those are very important and interesting questions. And um, I remember being asked, where I'm from. I'm sitting in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is where Harvard Law School is located, where all the Harvard um, University campuses are located. And having been born in Zambia, raised in South Africa, Mm. um, going there with a tag that said my name, and then under it, Zambia, South Africa being asked where i'm from and struggling with that question i had i had to ask the person what they meant where was i born um where was where did i grow up uh, or where am i immediately coming from <laughs> hmm. cuz all those three questions those three things, um, or maybe two things, have, have different answers. And um, therein lies the intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, the experience taught me that these are issues that are increasingly becoming the norm as people move from different places. And it shouldn't be seen as unusual for people to move around to be born in one place and to grow up in a different place Mm. maybe even to to relocate later it's becoming the experience of of many people people are becoming um socially mobile if, if if i could use that term to mean that they are they are they are not settling in one place and certainly that was my sense from interacting with people, classmates, who had, in some cases, lived in six different countries. Hmm. Um, and um, I, I, I learned that there's power in diversity. Hmm. Um, the most important experience of my time at Harvard Law School was not the classes, and my formal courses, although that was a fantastic scholarly Mm. and rigorous experience on its own that I'll get into later. But my interactions with my classmates, for the first time in my life, I met someone from um, Colombia, people from Peru, people from Mexico. I'd never ever met someone from South America. So um, understanding that they have a unique cultural and historical context that they're coming from. um, And they had their own challenges based on the places that they had been in and, and, and that we could learn from each other's experiences. And even if we might disagree on certain things, um i'm a christian and so you Mm. know as you can imagine Mm. people wanted to put me in the republican box
2: Mm. Mm.
1: because of how because of my faith like oh you're a christian no you must be republican oh i'm like i I don't even come from here (laughs) i don't (laughs) in south africa we've got many parties we're not bipartisan i don't know what this republican (laughs) thing i don't like this box (laughs) (laughs) you're trying to place me in and so having those conversations and saying why do you think that I would fit into the republican box Mm. why do you even want me to fit into the republican box if I'm an African I'm coming Mm. from Africa Mm. I'm here to study (laughs) I'm going back but at a time where things were so racially charged Mm. um, Trump was elected during the time that I was studying Um, and so these conversations of identity were again coming to the fore as if I couldn't escape Mm -hmm. (laughs) the identity politics in in South Africa. They came, um, they further crystallized um, in the US. And suddenly it's like, oh, what is your view as a a black female? I'm like, well, I'm an African black female. I'm not an African-American female. Our experiences are different, though there are some similarities, and it's educating people um, and learning how people see South Africa and what people think that apartheid was and what they think about its effects today. It was all very, very interesting. I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. I learned so much, Mm -hmm. Um, and I've come back although it's been many years, it's been five years, We they had a reunion this year
2: mm.
1: for our class. Um, I still hold on to the richness of those experiences. The experience can't be measured in monetary terms.
2: Mm, mm. Sure.
0: Sure. I, I, I'm just taking it all in. I love that. I... I feel like I was I was in it with you just just for (laughs) the and 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 a very a very powerful line that you mentioned earlier that there's power in diversity. I just I just I I really felt that when you said that. Um, but also I think one one of one of the burning questions that a listener would probably have is just the process of getting into Harvard Law School for somebody for, for for an ordinary girl, like maybe the Lubumba that you were before you you started the process or just an ordinary girl, man, like ordinary girl raised in the township, whatever, found herself at, at Wits, then in a prestigious five, um, top five law firm, whatever the case is. Something like Harvard doesn't, really come automatically to mm. or for women like us what mm-hmm. what did that mean to you to be accepted at Harvard Law School and what were what was the reason behind you applying and what was the process like were you at any point were you like I need to do this because I want to show uh, a young girl like me that it is possible to find yourself at Harvard Law School, mm. what were some of your reasons for pursuing that? Because I, 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 I want to assume that it wasn't just uh, spur of the moment, oh, there's an application, let me try my luck, <laughs> there, was, there was like a thought process behind it and, and how you maybe wanted to be a role model for, for women like us.
1: Yeah, certainly there was. Um, it wasn't something that I just decided in the year that it happened. Um, But actually something I had a dream of doing from third year, Mm -hmm. when I was thinking about the type of experiences that I wanted to have, but more importantly, starting with the type of person who I wanted to become. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, on that point, I'd encourage people to not just chase opportunities haphazardly Mm -hmm. and titles and trinkets for their CV, um, but to have a method mm-hmm. behind it all to understand first and foremost, what is your vision? What is your purpose as a person? What is it, what, what is the type of person you want to be before mm-hmm. deciding the things that you want to do? Um, because out of who you are and what, what, how you see yourself flows everything else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so chase purpose over opportunity and once you get purpose opportunities follow Mm. um so i i wanted to be an inspiration to other africans both males and females Mm. i wanted to my mom had a master's so i wanted to also get a master's but really get it at the highest level Mm. i'd read dreams from my father I'd read about how um, Barack Obama went to Harvard Law School Hmm. and um, I just decided, okay, I I would like to do that too. Yeah. Um, Because I knew that the very best professors, um, many of the very best professors uh, were at Harvard Law School Mm -hmm. and that they had... um, uh, the sort of subjects that I would like to delve into. Mm. Strangely Mm. enough, at the time, in third year, I had a vision of being a corporate lawyer, corporate lawyer in Mm. Mm. M&A. That quickly changed during articles when I decided that um, dispute resolution was more for me Mm. um, than than M&A. And, um, but I still held on to the fact that I wanted to go to Harvard Law School.
2: Mm.
1: And so that vision morphed into doing um, public policy, public law, constitutional law, and the like at Harvard Law School. And um, I, I had a vision board where I literally stuck a picture of Oprah in Harvard regalia mm. on the vision board um she had given the commencement speech yes, 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 yes. um one year and I took that snapshot of her
2: yes.
1: and uh my mom ma- I remember my mom walked into my room and she said well it's all good and well to have Oprah on your vision board but she she went there uh you want to go there so put your face oh love it put your face <laughs> I love your mom I know it sounds funny and strange, but I, I photoshopped my face on I
0: <laughs> love it. I, I, onto, I love it for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The image. And so it became, you know, I was seeing this every day mm. and um, when it happened, um, I remembered that this is what I'd been seeing Um during, during my third year and what the vision I'd carried with me for myself mm. and, and people opened doors for me, Tebelo. I'm so grateful for the grace of God on my life and the doors which were opened because I had to go through um, an a, a interview process for the funding that I received from the Constitutional Court Trust Without that funding, I would never have the opportunity to even go to Harvard Law School, which is extremely expensive.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, So that opened the door. Uh, Law clerks have access to these types of scholarship and funding opportunities. And I applied and had to go through a process of justifying why it is that I should get the the initial funding Mm. um, to be able to study abroad to be able to study in the US. And um, I went through that process. I spoke about my vision. Um, I spoke a lot about the issues and the themes that we have discussed Mm. um, about being an African woman, about the unique challenges that poses and what I wanted to um, achieve by going to Harvard Law School, Um, the the example that I wanted to be to other African women and um, what I wanted to do with um, the further studies once mm. I'd completed them in South Africa. And that was important because I think at the end of the day, they don't want a situation where people just are looking to go to the US and, and sort of never come back.
2: Yeah. You know, everyone says,
1: oh, why did you come back? And I think, <laughs> I'm quite disturbed by that question because it betrays a lack of, yeah. a lack of hope in where we are as Africans mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and a lack of people wanting to contribute, but rather, I mean, people have their own reasons for moving. I'm not slating them, but I'm saying for myself, I wanted to ensure that I was going to come back and contribute to the African project yeah, with the newfound knowledge and um, with the further knowledge yeah. that I had right. obtained,
0: that is so important, so so important. Thank you. I suppose another question would then be that constitutional court trust fund. Do you do? You, would you only have access to it if you were previously a clerk, or can a can can somebody promising who you know has completed their articles or Completed pupillage or whatever the fact is, can they approach the the fund for for that kind of funding to to study abroad?
1: It is um, open to law clerks, current and former. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'd encourage those that are interested in clerking at the constitutional court to look into that opportunity Mm. um um, as i understand it so often um it is it is um undersubscribed in that there are not as many applications as there should be Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so um it's one way so
0: it sounds scary so i can i can imagine Yeah. yeah it really sounds like a grueling process
1: it is it is they want to ensure that that you, what you want to achieve aligns with the values of the 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 the, the people that contribute funding towards mm. um those scholarships and that um you're going to come back you're going to contribute and you're going to be true to what you said you would do mm. that's very important mm. um and so they, they really take their time to ensure that they're appointing the right, the right recipients.
0: How is the um, selection process on the other side, though? So, so what kind of hurdles did you have to jump through for, for acceptance into Harvard Law School? So once you'd made it past the hurdles of, of obtaining funding,
1: what was mm. the process like to actually get into HLS? I hadn't even passed all the hurdles of obtaining funding because the um, Ismail Mohammed Fellowship, which I received from the Constitutional Court Trust, mm. um, Ismail Mohammed was, of course, a former Chief Justice mm. of the Constitutional Court in the early years of democracy. Um, I had to, uh, it was seed funding, so initial contribution towards living expenses. And so thus began a grueling process of obtaining um, the funding for the um, academic year
2: mm.
1: for tuition, essentially. Mm. And That was now, you know, it's like I was experiencing the euphoria of being granted this funding, but quickly it dawned on me the reality and the... Um, the work that needed to be done almost immediately to secure tuition funding. And so I put in my application um, to different law schools in the US um, in case I didn't make it into Harvard Law School. I knew it would be very difficult to get into Harvard Law School. Mm. Applied to NYU, applied to um, uh, 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 University of California, Berkeley, applied to Notre Dame, um, and others, and got into all of them, (laughs) and um, the um, Constitutional Court Trust had specific memorandum of understanding with um, Notre Dame, and another law school. which they highly encouraged us to apply to because they would then, if you got in, you'd get, you'd automatically, almost automatically get funding for tuition. Mm -hmm. But I really wanted to go to Harvard Law School. uh, And in that sense, made my life a lot more difficult um, because there wasn't such a MOU with, with Harvard and the Constitutional Court Trust. So when I applied to Harvard, I... Um, submitted a a dual application for admittance or admission to the program and for financial aid Mm. and um, that entailed writing extensive essays personal statement um, explaining who you are um, why you want to get into Harvard what subjects you want to do what you'd write for your thesis Mm. I'm very thorough going very intense and um, um, filling out your academic achievements, working out your GPA um, based on your transcripts and your, the grades you had gotten in university, submitting even your matric results. <laughs> it was very intense. Um, and then even writing a, a mini thesis proposal in your, as part of your application. Uh, and thankfully, I was granted funding from the graduate recruitment, uh, graduate um, financial aid program. Mm. Um, they funded about 80% of my tuition costs. Um, and then I also raised some personal savings. I'd, I'd been saving money since my, uh, my articles because, you know, the vision was in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I knew it would happen I just didn't know how yeah I just started preparing for it um and so I had some personal savings which I also put into the kitty and together all those things oh I must say I also got some top-up funding from the um Oppenheimer Memorial Trust Mm. which I'm very grateful for all those things together it literally took a village to get me to Harvard Law School And I'm I'm forever grateful to these institutions, organizations, um, for um, opening the way for me and, and giving me the opportunity. Sure. Well, congratulations.
0: And I remember the first time I learned about Harvard Law School, I was probably nine years old, 10 yeah probably just primary school years and i was watching um i was watching legally blonde yes and because my grandfather had already planted the seed that i would be a lawyer i was very very interested in this harvard law school i was like oh my goodness is this like a thing and another thing that kept on sparking interest was that around that time my dad had gone to Harvard Business School. Mm. They had left us for a year to 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 go study at Harvard Business School. So that's when I started becoming very aware of okay, so it's not this, it's not just Harvard Law School. There's Harvard Business School and Harvard mm. University, you know. And mm. for the longest time, I spent, or rather, I believed that it was as accessible as me going to any other university in in the country. So. I knew that I could probably get into UCT if I wanted to, or you know, I saw myself at Vids, and I really grew up believing that it's, it's, it's an easy process to also get into Harvard. But obviously, with with the wisdom that comes with age and knowing all these financial hurdles that come at that come into play, the dream or the vision. Just kept going further and further away if that makes sense Mm. so i grew up thinking oh yeah one day i'll be at harvard law school i mean i watched legally blonde and it seemed pretty easy (laughs) (laughs) and then here you are years decades later just painting this grueling application process and the, the one thing that you've mentioned a lot in, 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 in the conversation or in you telling us about how, what it took for you to get there was the aspect of funding. And now I'm just curious, without the funding in South African rands, how much would somebody have to pay to be able to afford to get into Harvard? It's over a million rand. And this is like not counting food and accommodation and all of that
1: um yeah that is probably excluding food and accommodation when i when i look at it in terms of the 2022 rates
0: sure so so basically in order because i i assume when you go you also want a decent quality of life so Yes. So one you would- want to go and, and yeah be starving. So one would be um, at maybe mm-hmm. like two million
1: rand. Probably. Um I haven't done the maths. Yeah. Um and the conversions sure. as of 2022.
0: Mm-hmm. But certainly
1: mm-hmm. that was my Im- impression mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. that I went. I, I remember realizing that with this funding that I've received, I mean, if I was funding my own way. Uh well, it would have firstly been impossible. Yeah, I didn't have that money on hand. <laughs> but um, if I was to do that, I would have to take out a, a loan, um, of about that amount. Yeah, and yeah. um, I had to grapple with the fact that okay, this amount of money would be able to purchase me uh a, a, an apartment. Uh, a small a long-term investment basically yeah 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 so i'm I'm, that is what i'm spending on further studies coming to grips with that and then putting realizing that that's fine you know you Mm -hmm. take it into the bargain because Mm -hmm. you put you place value on education Mm
0: -hmm. as a
1: lifelong investment yeah
0: yeah
1: Uh, and not just the now Yeah. and immediate gratification. Yeah. And yes, it was a sacrifice. I was leaving um, active employment to go study. So by that time, I had, I had done articles. I'd spent some time as a, a junior associate before going to clerk at the Constitutional Court. Mm-hmm. Um, the expectation would have been after clerking to go back to where you were and to continue mm. practicing, to quickly build up those um, post-qualification experience years um, to create a career for yourself. So everyone was like, well, not everybody, but quite a few people said to me, what are you doing? <laughs> sure. What are you doing? I mean, it didn't make sense to mm. them. Mm. And But it you, doesn't have to, right? Yeah, you have an LLB from WITS, um, it's about practice at the end of the year. You need to rack up those, those practice years. Why do you want to go to Harvard? I mean, our universities are, are, are fine. You have an LLB from WITS, like what, what is this drive? But it, it was my dream. Yeah, It was what I wanted to do for myself. I wasn't satisfied with one undergraduate degree. Um, I wanted to study further. I wanted to have this experience. Um, and I knew it was, it was more than, um, it was about more than money.
0: Sure. Absolutely.
1: Sure.
0: Absolutely. Oh, thank you so, so much for, for sharing that with us. I know this was very invaluable to me and I, and I can only imagine how much more invaluable it will be to, to somebody who sort of has like, um uh, <laughs> time <laughs> to, to sort of get to, to To achieving that dream, you know, um, mm. and I'll yeah. say it's
1: never too late. So, yeah, Tabelo, if you still have the dream, <laughs> 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 it's never too late. Um, why not do a short course at Harvard Business School? Sitting um, there, sitting
0: there with the calculator, like okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like mediak. I want to say. I want to say. You know, we we've talked a lot about being a, a african female mm. the difficulties but there are also unique opportunities absolutely that, that presents i want to emphasize that to people
2: yeah yeah
1: there are opportunities out there if you are interested in studying further in um Taking on a fellowship—it doesn't have to be a master's. It could mm. be a short fellowship
2: mm.
1: at a university or at an NGO or at a think tank. Explore these opportunities because they are available. Mm. There's the, you know, the Harvard South Africa Fellowship for mid-career professionals. Mm. There's if you were, if you clerked before, we talked about the opportunities um, that are available. By the way, those opportunities are also available to anyone who's clerked at the Supreme Court of Appeal. Mm. Um, not just to constitutional court clerks as I understand it Um, but please go check the scholarship conditions and requirements by making the relevant and necessary inquiries Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. things might have changed Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and um, there are um, you know the YALI or Washington fellows um, that's what I did last year I was about to say I did uh, the business fellowship at at
0: the University of uh, Notre Dame. That's fantastic. Yeah, there are actually a, a lot of opportunities come to think of it. But like I said earlier, Lubumba, it's important to have these kind of conversations because this is educational and informative. You, you won't know about these opportunities unless you've heard Lubumba say, oh, they, did you know that there's a um, Ismail Muhammad trust fund that can enable you to pursue ABC? did you know about the constitutional court trust fund? So we need to have these conversations to educate people about these institutions that exist to help us further our dreams.
1: Yes, yes. A lot of people are not aware. They, They just haven't been exposed. And I wouldn't have been aware either had I not had conversations with people, had I not engaged with them when I wanted to make a pivot from Corporate dispute resolution, commercial dispute resolution into public law mm. um, about the opportunities for pivoting. Um, it's people that said to me, Oh, you know, have you I- explored this? Someone who put a former clerk who was an associate at the time, who put Albie um, Sachs' book, The Strange Alchemy of Life and Law, in my hand and said, You might want to read this. You seem mm. interested in these mm. issues. Mm. Um, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have known myself, so I can only pay it forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely sure. Oh, Lubumba now literally we've come to the end. We actually we came to the end 30 minutes ago, but you just <laughs> so many gems to share with us. It would have been it's too much to share it, it would have been a complete injustice if I had cut you off 30 minutes ago. So I hope. Um, to everybody who made it to the end you congratulations you made it to the end of, of, of of listening to Lubumba's story but I also like to remind people that having had a guest on this platform or having had Lubumba on this platform doesn't mean that the conversation ends here you know um there's 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 always um an opportunity for you to network with our guests further by just getting in touch with them via email. Hi Lubumba, I heard you on The Redless Show and you spoke about ABC. Please can I have 10 minutes of your time to speak about whatever the, you know, to have, to get more details. And Lubumba, as with other guests, not to put you under pressure, but I know a lot of guests have been open to students or young professionals reaching out to them just to get more information um, in addition to what you would have shared with us on, the, on on this episode.
1: Yes, I am open to that.
0: Wonderful. In the last five minutes that we have, Lubumba, is there anything that I haven't asked you that is that, that you would like to share with us? It can either be burning or just a point of interest any any ground or any topic that you'd like to cover it doesn't necessarily have to be law it doesn't necessarily have to um be be in tune with the conversation that we've just had but in the last five minutes it's really anything goes is there anything that you'd like to share with us that that yes change our lives or that i haven't asked
1: you yes um it has been um basically with great opportunity comes great responsibility
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: um, that your end of the bargain, when you receive opportunities, like the opportunity to study towards a degree of your choice, Mm -hmm. opportunity to work is to bring your best and to work hard because n- nothing is owed to you. Mm. Um, and everything we get, this life we live and and the air we breathe, it's a gift. And it's not, it's not um, a given. And the best way we can respond is by bringing our best, not taking shortcuts. Mm not trying to um, swindle our way through or just have the look and have the glamour of it without the substance. And that requires hard work. Yeah. Um, these opportunities didn't just come out of nowhere as, as, as much as I was blessed and people opened doors. There needed to be some substance that encouraged them to do so. And that has been... Hard, hard work, long Mm -hmm. nights, early mornings, Mm -hmm. honing my trade. Mm -hmm. I'm still on the journey. I still have a lot more hard work to go to developing into the specialist in public law that I want to become. And so for those who are willing to embark on this journey, um, remember, 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 there's no substitute for working hard and putting in the hours and honing your trade
0: no substitute for working hard thank you thank you so much Lubumba. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show i can't wait to catch up with you a few seasons from here to to find out what what you are up to in in or what you're going to be up to in the next few years so i wish you all the best of luck um yeah I, that's all I wish you all the best of luck with your future endeavors that sounds like sounds like a regret we regret to inform you email but <laughs> they're always like good luck with your future endeavors. and I'm like no
1: <laughs> we regret to inform you that you've come to the end of this podcast that's fine <laughs> thank you so much for having me Tabello. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope by being open and sharing my story I've encouraged many. And um, I look forward to continuing to be part of the discussion. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you.